Gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Onto the scene walks John the Baptist. He has wild eyes, a smell hangs about him, and the people are glad that this gathering is outdoors. Camel fur, especially wet camel fur, is not a pleasant odor. But then they hear his words, prepare the way. A sense of hope awakens. And John the Baptist lived at a time of infrastructure investment. The Roman highway system was the greatest public works project the world had ever known. Straight roads ran from Rome to every corner of the known world. They were built to move conquering armies, to keep the people in submission. And this wild man starts preaching about roads. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John is talking about resistance. These are God's roads, not Rome's. Prepare. John is a prophet. John is giving the people prophetic hope. In the first week of Advent, last week, we heard Bach's famous hymn, Sleepers Wake. For those who are woke, there are two ways to encounter the world, two ways to encounter our future, despair or hope. I'll let you guess which one I'm preaching about. John Donne once said, despair is the damp of hell, and joy is the serenity of heaven. Damp captures it well, doesn't it? Despair is toxic. Anyone who has struggled with depression can tell you, despair is disabling. Despair leaves you feeling frozen, unable to move. If you despair the future, you have no desire to go forward into that future, to walk down that road. Now, hope is not quite despair's opposite. Hope can look a little ragged. Hope can be accompanied by tears. Advent is now a blue season at Holy Communion. Hope can handle sadness. There might be a reason that hope was the only thing unable to escape Pandora's box. Hope can be a little wonky. There's a reason Emily Dickinson called hope a thing with feathers. A thing. Hope, especially the early seeds of hope, can look weak, can look rough. Hope might even wriggle in, dressed up in stinky camel fur and eating bugs and honey. The real difference between hope and despair is forward motion. With even a little bit of hope, you can start moving down the road. You can make the path straight. With a little bit of hope for the future, you are oriented forward, and you can pick up momentum. Sometimes it takes a bit of a shock to move from despair to hope. I think that's why John is so rough on the Sadducees and Pharisees. He thinks they've sold out. He thinks they've given up. 
especially the Sadducees, they're accommodating the empire. They're on Rome's payroll. They've lost hope. John wants to shock them out of that despair. He doesn't want the people to see the Pax Romana, peace at the tip of a sword, as normal. Oppression can't be normal in God's world. For John, hope needs to be nurtured, kept alive. He wants to shock the people back from despair to hope. A couple years ago in Advent, my husband Ellis and I took my father-in-law Paul to go see a raisin in the sun at the Black Rep here in St. Louis. Hearing Lorraine Hansberry's dialogue performed against the backdrop of all that was going on, both in our city and our nation, back two years ago, the year Michael Brown died, hearing those words together with that year was eerie. A Raisin in the Sun is set in 1953, first performed in 1959, and it captures the mid-20th century tensions around race and black identity. You can see a lot of differences between then and now if you see the play today. But what's eerie is all that hasn't changed. A great deal of the play resonates today. One scene in particular caught my attention. The younger sister, Benita, a college student, is fretting aloud, as college students are wont to do. She's worried that she won't make it into medical school. She won't reach her potential. She launches into a tirade about God about how her mother and father were wrong to take her to church. She says she's tired about hearing of God. God is just an idea and doesn't have relevance for her life. Benita is having a moment, a moment of despair. Her mama stands up, walks across the room, Mama towers over Benita. The room grows quiet. And Mama says, Now you repeat after me. In my mother's house, there is still God. In my mother's house, there is still God. Mama and John the Baptist have something in common. They point people beyond despair. They point to the road ahead. They point to God, our hope and our salvation. Both John and Mama know hope can be hard work. It helps to rest your hope in God. And some of you know that before I was a priest, I trained as a community organizer. An organizer has to work to nurture hope in a community. When a new organizer arrives in a the neighborhood, they can't just stand on a rooftop and proclaim that God's justice has come. It doesn't work that way. You have to earn people's trust. In organizing, there's a method to growing hope. You look for a campaign that is winnable. The organizer gets people together to work on something they know they can win. And often that campaign, especially the first one, is small and common sense. When I was living in Washington, D.C., the organization that I worked with, that I organized with, I, I remember hearing a story from their early days in the city. 
about community organizers who picked an elementary school bathroom in Anacostia, a neighborhood on the wrong side of the river. And the school system in Washington was a mess, is still a mess. There are always campaigns going on. Everyone knows the schools in Washington are broken. They're tired of trying to fix them. Exhaustion, like despair, is toxic. Exhaustion stifles change. The community organizers knew they had to teach people how to hope. So they focused on one elementary school, close to a couple of the churches that they were organizing. They started meeting with parents and listening to their frustrations. Over and over again, between other comments, they heard about little boys lining up to use the one functioning boys' bathroom at the elementary school. The other bathroom had been broken for months. They got parents together. They organized meetings at the churches and circulated a petition. Then clergy, parents, teachers, and church member all went together to City Hall. The ask was small. Fix the broken bathroom. Lo and behold, money was moved around and a boy's bathroom was repaired. They won. And they started to see the power they had as a community. They became the repairers of the ruined city, or at least of a little boy's bathroom. They held fast to what was good. They learned how to hope. We learn how to hope in our public life and in our personal lives. We need the little victories. Parents thrive when strangers comment and say, your children are behaving so well. Workers perform better when they get consistent positive feedback from supervisors. Business owners do well when they are celebrated for paying a good wage and providing good benefits. School children do well when parents and teachers notice their accomplishments and take the time to say, good job. We need to celebrate the little wins in our lives, to hold fast to those little victories. St. Louis knows about hope. Over the last two years, as protests have been in our streets, as I've watched the news and walked the streets of this town, I've seen little winds. I've seen painters covering boarded up windows with art. I've seen black and white people get together with Jews and Muslims and secular humanists and pray. I've seen police officers help to close down streets so that protesters can cross safely. I've seen trained leaders de-escalating violence. I've seen school kids walk out of class and invite their administration to talk about bias-motivated incidents. I know you may be thinking, Mike, we've seen a lot more than these optimistic Pollyanna positive moments. True. I think God invites us to hold fast to what is good. God invites us to find an abundance of hope. We need little victories if we're going to learn to hope. If we're going to walk the long road of hope in the next years, we need the little wins. We need to let them build up. We need teachers who choose to work with the kids our society writes off, who consciously encourage them to dream of college. We need bus drivers who warmly greet the early morning riders trying to hold on to a job. 
We need librarians who are ready with a snarky remark for the overburdened student or professor to lighten their day. We need the laborers who wake up early to gather their fellow workers together asking for a raise or better benefits. We need police who walk their beat with open eyes and open hearts, helping the community grow safer. We need the investors who choose to give capital to black entrepreneurs, knowing that a thriving small business can lift up a family and a neighborhood. We need churchgoers who are willing to show up to city council meetings or school board meetings, saying with our presence that God cares about the equality of our city and our schools. We need the little victories, the daily work that makes up the long road of hope. John invites us to prepare the hopeful road. John invites us to simply prepare, to focus on the little wind. Advent invites us to straighten out our little corner of the road because hope is coming. Bit by bit, God is building the kingdom. Yes, even now. Yes, even now. Here's the promise of John the Baptist. It's the promise of Mama from a raisin in the sun. Here is the promise to St. Louis. God is coming. Those little winds, they will count for something. The road we prepare, it'll count. The long road of hope, if we walk it together, that road will lead us home. God's coming to Bethlehem. God's coming to St. Louis. God's coming down that road. Don't despair. Hope. Amen.